Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the exponential success coach. Today is a special day. I have with me a gentleman who is a philosopher, a counseling psychotherapist, a certified mindset coach, an NLP coach, a clinical supervisor, a trainer, a hypnotherapist, and really actually a really just good, good human. Um, He's got so much going on. I was struck by his bio and I wanted to share him with you. So Welcome to the show, Byron Athene. Welcome, Byron. Thanks, Dr. P. That was a that, that was a remarkable introduction. Hopefully, I can live up to that. Well, <laughs> you already have lived up to it. <laughs> yay! Uh, yay! Good. Over. So we're done. Okay. Thanks. Um, that's awesome. Let's let's talk about um, some of the work you do now. Is really about what's interesting to me is that. I focus on, I tend to focus on my strength is like, I can help people through their existential dilemma. Sure. Which is the, um, well, who am I now? Sure. And your, your philosophical approach is, it just made me smile because you're like, well, I help people through their existential strengths. And it's like, that's awesome. I love that so much. So talk a little bit about your journey to being the, kind of philosopher, therapist, like, how'd you get here? How'd you, you're, you're, people will hear you speaking. You're based in yeah. South London. Yeah. UK. Uh, yeah. UK. So, um, so talk a little bit about your journey. How'd you get to do what you're doing? What are you doing? What lights you up? You know, all that stuff. Okay. So, you know what, let me, let me actually start by sounding somewhat controversial, maybe. My controversial stance or my stance that might sound controversial is I'm a counseling psychotherapist. So I'm a therapist who doesn't actually believe in therapy. I, I love don't that. Think... Oh, That's good. part oh, of why I wanted great. you here. Oh, great. I got out of, you know, my doctorate's in clinical psychology. Okay. And, and uh, that's awesome. So, yeah, for me, I took a left turn out of, out of doing traditional clinical psych. Yeah. Uh, because the traditional routes just seem so bogged down. Yeah. Right? So yeah. this is awesome. Sure. So talk a little bit yeah. about uh, being a therapist that doesn't believe in traditional therapy. I love Here this. Here we go. Right. So I'm a, I'm a therapist who doesn't believe in therapy. I think I don't think the world needs therapy, even though it can be useful sometimes, and hopefully it is useful. But the world doesn't need therapy. Um, what the world could benefit more from is psychoeducation. Awesome. I think if we were if we were taught really fundamental things about the way the way our minds worked when we were younger, we wouldn't develop problems. But we aren't taught these really fundamental things when we were younger. So we go on to develop these problems like anxiety or anger and all those other things. And therapy seeks to resolve those issues. And it's sometimes effective, sometimes not, depending on the effectiveness of the therapist and the receptiveness of the client. But if we had psychoeducation, then those issues wouldn't even exist in the first place. 
So really, uh, one of the things that I learned, and I believe you're teaching people about along the way is how a lot of that is actually a choice, right? It's a choice to feel anxiety. It's a choice to feel grief to the depth that we express it because we're taught a lot of that. Yeah. And, and so, uh, if I love this, uh, because, and I want you to do more talking than me uh, on this one, but uh, obviously it sparked me up. So, um, good. Okay. So, yeah the the whole idea of psychoeducation. What? Yeah. Would, where would you start? What right. would you teach? Okay. Um, okay. And what are you on? What are you teaching people out of? Right. So here we go. So I think I think I have found the real reason why we have bad emotions. And when I say the real reason we have bad emotions, I mean the reason that makes by far the most sense out of all the reasons I've heard. And I've researched this exclusively for the last 32 years. Is like there's the there are reasons that are spouted by other clinical professionals like psychologists, psychotherapists, philosophers, even. But um there those those theories are problematic. I think problematic. So I, I, I stumbled across what I think is the real reason. And by real, I mean, yeah, um, like I said, the, the reason that I think by far makes the most sense. So like, so in, in eventual answer to your question, I'll, I'll give you a quick chronology of how I started on my journey. And then I'll say what the reason is, if you allow. No. Yeah, of course I allow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. So, right. So, um, I'm the, I'm the youngest of three three boys. Um, there's there's only one year apart. So me me and my two older brothers. We were raised by a single mom in Peckham, South London, and um, we all stuttered. I think what it was, the older brother developed a stutter somehow. I think the middle brother copied him, and I copied both of them. So by the time I was eight, I was a fully fledged stutterer and I didn't like myself because of it. I had extremely low self-esteem and I carried that self-esteem until, oh my God, relatively recently, actually. I mean, um, I was just, I, I thought of myself as just less than everyone because I couldn't even talk properly. Whereas everyone's talking how they want and expressing themselves how, how they wanted to. I, I couldn't even say, I couldn't even say my name or answer the phone. So I really, really low self-esteem. But because of this low self-esteem, I think I was a lot more introspective. So I, I just, I, I, I notice my internal workings more potentially. So, um, so the middle brother, when he left school, found work, he found an, an, um, a job in an office. I, I, I figured, well, I just follow him because I figured all oh, office work, hopefully won't need that much communication or not as much communication as something that really that you would really need your voice for and stuff so so I thought I thought that was a safe bet that was a safe bet so I remember at 20 at 20 um there was a recession it's like 1991 there was a recession so I was unemployed for about three years so I had a lot of thinking time on my hands I was an atheist or agnostic so um I I wasn't really kind of like bogged down with um overly religious thoughts or even philosophical thoughts at that part to be honest at 20 I didn't even know what philosophy or psychology were those are things that just didn't they didn't I yeah I didn't didn't even know what they were to be interested in them or not I just I I didn't know so at 20 the thing I wanted most was a girlfriend were you still stuttering at 20 oh I'm I'm still stuttering now I'm still I've 
I've still got I've still got a style. It's, it's sometimes hard to hard to detect, but it's it's still there. But it's not it's not nearly the the big issue I used to believe it was. Okay. Okay. So at twenty, wanted a girlfriend. Didn't really have much um, experience with women, but I thought um, that just would have made life just enjoyable. That would have fixed all my problems. Having a girlfriend, having someone to spend time with and stuff. Um, so I met someone. We um, we knew one another. And I thought because we knew one another, um, I'd avoid the pitfalls I'd faced up until then, which was finding someone attractive, getting to know one another. But then the more we learn about one another, we re- we realized that we weren't really compatible. So the fact I've I the fact that she and she and I knew one another, I thought, well, we're gonna avoid that. So I thought we were gonna last forever. It was going to be me and her in heaven. Nothing was going to break us apart. It didn't even last three months. And then when she ended it, it hit me like really hard, like proper, proper heartache. Like it's at 20, nothing really bad had happened to me. So that was by far the most painful experience I'd gone through at the time. Um, but I thought, well, that's just life. In life, bad things are going to happen. You just have to get on with, get on with it as best you can. And that's what I intended to do. So um, like I said, had a brother, um, sorry, two, two brothers. One of them had, one of them read a book called Psycho-Cybernetics and he recommended, re- recommended it to me. And I thought, well, I'll read this book in the hope that it will come, help me come to terms with my stutter more. And maybe even I might start liking myself or, some, or something crazy like that. So I read this book. It didn't really help with my stutter, but it did introduce the idea to me that happiness comes from within. I awesome. until yeah until then I assumed humans were like emotional mirrors. If something bad happened, we'd feel bad. If something good happened, we'd feel good. The idea that it was internally generated kind of blew my mind. So I thought, yeah, that's great. But then I thought, hold on, if happiness comes from within, why am I making myself feel like absolute crap because of this breakup? So I then started to find that I could control my emotions more by doing something called positive reframing. So if something happened, if something bad happened, I could reframe that thing and feel better about it. So I soon found myself being able to control my emotions much better than I thought anyone ever could. So that prompted a question. Since I I soon got to the point where I could feel good right after feeling bad about anything. So that, that prompted a question. If I can feel good right after feeling bad, what's the point of feeling bad in the first place? So I started nice. to ask people. Yeah, I started to ask people. No, no one could answer the question. Because I, I then started to hear the same 10 reasons over and over again of why we had bad emotions. And I'd been controlling my emotions at that point for about three months. All of these reasons didn't make sense because I was just a better person in every single way because I was feeling better more. So I didn't hear anything that made more sense. So because I heard the same 10 reasons over again, I thought, well, may, maybe I'm never going to find out the truth. Maybe maybe this is going to be life, one of life's many mysteries. So I was satisfied not knowing. So there was no there was no real change in my stance until about a year and a half after that. Met someone, we became friends. I told her about my emotional control. That was an idea that appealed to her. So she asked me if I could help her with her emotions. I said, well, I could. I could just show you what I did to get to this stage, but it, it's taken me about a year and a half. It's possibly going to take you a year and a half as well. So she said she didn't have anything better to do. So I started to help her her, with her emotions and it was going a bit too slowly. So I thought, well, let me, let me look for the real reason again. I I, I, I figured if I look, if I found a real reason, 
maybe I can use that real reason as a shortcut and then I could help her get to my stage a lot quicker than it took me to get to, to get to the, to the stage. So I, again, I asked people for the reason why we had bad emotions. Again, I heard the same reasons that I knew didn't make sense. Again, I became frustrated that I was never going to find out, but then I saw the reason and it blew my mind. I thought, oh my God, no, no way can this be true. No way can this be true. Because if this is true, first of all, why didn't anyone say it? Why did I hear the same 10 reasons over and over and over again? Why didn't at least one person say this? Another, another thing that me that, that 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 confused me that I was the one who found this. I thought, if this is true, why didn't why didn't one of the great minds of our of our like lifetime or of of history find it? Why didn't Einstein see it? Why didn't Stephen Hawking see it? Why didn't Newton see it? How is it those geniuses all missed it, but a boy from Peckham South London found it? How is that possible? So I, I explored, I tried to find holes, I tried to find flaws in it, and I couldn't. The only flaw I found was that it wasn't already believed. So that's what made me think, surely someone else has found this. So that's what got me into philosophy and psychology. So right. I, I realized that, yeah, I, I realized that, um, well, on a kind of side note as well, when I, when I found this, I, I tried to tell my friends and family and they weren't, they weren't buying it. And that, and that confused me. That kind of frustrated me. I thought, well, this is true. So that, that, that prompted a question, hold on, how is it I'm able to believe this and be in one reality, but they're believing something else and they're in another reality. How is that possible? Then I was like, oh, that's, that's the key to all of it, isn't it? Exactly. Belief is reality. So I, I, I stumbled across that. So belief is reality. So then I, I then went to these same friends, oh my God, belief is reality. And they, and they didn't believe that either. And I, 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 at that point, I didn't realize the fact they disbelieved it proved it, because that's what I was trying to say. If you believe something, it'll be your reality, blah, blah. So that's what made me then research. So I, I, I looked into philosophy and psychology. In philosophy, I found that belief is reality is possibly one of the only things that philosophers universally agree with, that reality is subjectively created. Like, yeah. So I thought, well, that's, it's weird that that's not taught in schools then. Why is that not taught in schools? That, that impacts every aspect of our experience. That's amazing. That piece, why is that not taught in schools? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I was, uh, I, was I, think, I think because it threatens parenthood. Yeah, it threatens parenthood. It threatens the establishment. Control, it threatens, exactly. Yeah, it threatens a lot, a lot of yeah. status quo things. So, Very good. Yeah, so that's what, that's what I learned from um, introducing myself to philosophy, that that, every, that lots of people had, had realized that belief was reality. It just wasn't commonly shared for some reason. But the in terms of the theory that I found, no one had found it. No one else had found it. A few people had come close, but no one had found it. And that kind of, that confused me since I wasn't even in the field and I stumbled on it. So I'm like, but how is it people who are in the field? Why why haven't they found it? Why? That was that was confusing. So so is there a theory beyond that that you're alluding to, or is that the theory? No, well, no, I'll 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 share the theory with you. I'll, I'll share the theory. I'll, I'll, hopefully I've 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 intrigued you enough. So, you have but, piqued my interest. Okay. Yeah. okay. So, okay. So, can I can I take you through a um, the the type of session I would take my clients through in sharing it with them? Because I learned I've got to share it in a specific way. Because gen- generally, generally, I found a lot of people a lot of people don't really want to learn the truth. A lot of people want their current beliefs confirmed. So I. That's interesting. Very good. So. Um, 
you know, you should know that I've got a TEDx with a, a TEDx out there with about 2 million views on it. Okay. That talks about the parallax perspective being the only way that we can disrupt perceptual bias. Okay. That we need to look at things differently because yeah. we come we come to every situation with blinders on, exactly. not, not knowing what we don't know. Exactly. And we must have one assumption, which is, I don't know it all. What am I missing? Exactly. Oh my God. Yeah. So right. So I'm 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 preaching to the choir in terms of introducing this, but I'll I'll do it in a way. I'll I'll, I'll do it in a way because what what I've learned to do, I, I've learned to disprove the the three most common theories. Once 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 I've disproved those three most common theories, that leaves a a sort of a void of truth, and I I think my theory neatly fills that void of truth. Okay. Okay, here we go. So let's let's go through it. So fairy fairy number one. Fairy number one. Um, lots of people believe that bad emotions. By the way, I'll I'll say what the theory is, and just yeah, please let me know if you if you kind of if you can see the the, the error in logic in it or whatever. So okay. Right, okay. So fairy number one is the contrast theory. So lots of people believe that bad emotions exist because if they didn't, the good emotions wouldn't feel as good. What do you think? Uh, you know, it actually goes to attribution, which is to what do we attribute a certain feeling? Do we label it good or bad? So yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I don't believe that bad or good in terms of emotions actually needs a label. Well said. Well said. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see it. I, I can see it from someone's point of view that you can things can seem good when viewed from a certain perspective and things can yes. seem bad when viewed from a certain perspective. We need to have the rain to have the rainbows, but that doesn't <laughs> make the rain bad. It's like, <laughs> well, that's, that's true. That's true. So, yeah, so someone, someone, so I'll, I'll talk about um, to disprove this, these, these main three theories. I'll talk about three groups that show how these theories Perfect. can be disproved, even though they're commonly believed theories. So someone in group one, this is someone the group group one is the group of subscribers. So someone in group one bad someone needs group to one, exist in order for good to exist is, is yeah. Well, so, so, someone in group one enjoys sunny days more because they've got bad weather days to compare that sunny day to. So someone in group one wouldn't want to live somewhere um, where it's sunny all the time because they think they'd be bored. They would need that bad weather as a counterpoint. So okay. that's someone in group one, and that's people. Those people are out there. Fair enough. To each their own. To sure, their own. and there and there is uh, there is a solid law of polarity. Yeah, which is you know both exist. Yeah, yeah. So the question is, how are you labeling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so some cool. someone in group two, in contrast to the contrast theory, some someone in group two, they could happily enjoy a sunny day without the need to compare it to a rainy day. Someone in group two, so someone in group two could happily live somewhere where it's sunny all the time. They wouldn't be bored. They'd be loving it. So, and, what, and that's what's that? Because the first was contrast theory, and what is this? Yeah, sunny no, day well, theory. Yeah, what is it? Well, this this is a, this is the kind of person that disproves contrast theory because contrast okay. theory um, negates that possibility. So if contrast theory was true, that person wouldn't exist. That person would need the bad for the good to be. Um, enjoyable or um, identifiable. Okay. So yeah. So so someone in group three. Someone in group three. Um. Um. Someone in group three enjoys things less because of the contrast. So someone in group one says the contrast has to be there for you to enjoy or identify. Someone in group two says the contrast doesn't have to be there to for you to enjoy or identify. Someone in group three 
enjoys things less because of the contrast. So someone in group three could think, well, what's the point of being happy on a sunny day when it's just going to rain tomorrow? So that's the there are definitely people out there going, well, sure, the good is here now, but wait. Exactly. Like the bad exactly. always follows the good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so that, so those those two groups kind of disproves the universality of the contrast theory that the, the, the bad has to be there to um, to support the good. OK, so theory number two, theory number two is the usefulness or utility theory. So theory number two is the idea that bad emotions exist because if they didn't, uh, sorry, bad emotions exist because they serve you better in certain situations than good ones do. So, so for example, motivation. People think that that they're better motivated by their bad emotions. But what do you think? Are, are you better motivated by your bad emotions? Well, first of all, it, that would require me to label them as good or bad. Here's the other thing that I know is that is that the the things that are called service are often moral impositions okay that happen for control by authority early on so <laughs> okay yeah well said <laughs> so i'm gonna say no <laughs> well so but yeah lots of lots of people think that without their bad emotions they wouldn't be motivated to um, to improve upon certain situations. They, mm -hmm. they, they they think the bad has to be there. And by bad, I mean like being upset about something or just being being sad or even angry. That their anger, they use their anger to get better conditions or results. If the anger wasn't there, they might be complacent about it. And I'm saying, well, anger can be useful, but I'd argue that um, not being angry could consistently get you better results because your anger could be met with anger. So that now you've made it that now you've made a situation worse. It's kind of a I mean, for me, it's a very wasteful place to put energy. Definitely. Yep, I agree. So Definitely. That's my okay. that's my thought about it. So yeah. Okay. All right. and, so and, and I do agree that there are people out there that use quote unquote bad emotions to drive them. Oh yeah. If yeah. I don't do this, you know, someone's gonna think badly of me. I'll think yeah. badly of me. Yeah. And you know, I go to that deeper level. It's like, well, whose voice is that? Like wouldn't yeah. it be, yeah, wouldn't it serve you better if you had a different voice that said like do it because it serves more people versus do it because someone will think badly of you. Yeah, yeah. Surely you're 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 serving yourself better by being compassionate towards yourself as opposed to critical a lot of the time. Definitely, definitely. And benefit okay. extension yourself and others, like you're yeah. serving other people by being by harnessing energy in a certain way. Yeah. All right. So this is good usefulness theory. I'm I'm like using spur. Okay. So I'll, I'll I'll quickly go go for the three groups just just to show the different sort of like um different like stances. So okay, someone in group one they can think about doing something bad to someone else. They feel guilt or shame, and then they don't do the thing. So you you could say that their guilt has effectively or successfully motivated them into not doing the bad behavior. You can that's say reasonable behavior. Yeah, um, but some morals. Yeah, 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 exactly. Morals. But someone so someone in group two. They can think about doing something bad to someone else. They feel guilt or shame, and they do the thing anyway, which proves that that guilt wasn't an effective deterrent because here they are still engaging in that unsavory act. So, um, so someone in group three is prompted to do the better thing because of their good emotions rather than not do the bad thing because of their bad emotions. So that's surely the more healthier 
place to be. There is the sociopathic fourth group that knows that it's bad, but doesn't feel bad about doing it. <laughs> well, we, we're going to talk about sociopaths in a, or psychopaths in a in a bit because that's that's another argument. That's another argument. So, okay. well, hopefully, that, that that shows the three the, the three different groups and and the whole sort of very good utility. You are listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. Wayne Purnell. You know you are bigger than the life you are leading. It really is time to attend to that thing you've wanted to do or have, but you've been putting off. It's time to step into that dream you've parked for someday. It's time to claim true well-being, both personally and professionally, without giving up the success that got you here. It's time to check out Dr. Purnell's signature small group retreat, the Exponential Success Summit. Explore ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. Seats are extremely limited as this is a very special small group event. www.ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. Okay, so the final, the final main, um, the final main theory is the inevitability theory and that is bad emotions are just bound to happen they're inescapable they're unavoidable which means if you go through a bad event and i know i'm, I'm I'll, I'll keep sort of like terming i'm good or bad but just i know just for just to make it easier for people to like follow so um they if you go through a bad event and you don't feel bad you are either lying to yourself or you're suppressing the bad emotion and on a side note that could lead to the um that bad emotion or another coming up at another time so yeah lot, lots of people believe that lots of people think that, well you you need to process something in a certain way because if you don't you're you're neglecting it and then that's going to come and bite you in the bottom yeah I, i've never been a fan of that no no because it's somebody else telling you how to feel yes yeah right? exactly yeah. you you have to process this obviously <laughs> you know obviously you're in denial i love that one that was part of what got me out of psych <laughs> Was oh really <laughs> yeah because you you basically labeled everybody as either doing it your way or being in denial yeah and it's a very patriarchal uh way of manipulating yeah, it's definitely. it's total control yeah. well if you don't believe what i'm saying obviously you're in denial very, i can't stand that very black and white thinking very rigid thinking it's not very. not 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 helpful at all right um so okay so i could i could I, I'll describe a scenario that that shows that it's not about whether something good or bad or not. It's about your interpretation of the thing. So there's a yeah, there's a there's a project that's that's completed at work. It's undertaken by three people, or each of these people belong to the three different groups. So they get feedback. The feedback doesn't it doesn't sound entirely glowing. So it sounds quite negative on the surface. So person one who represents group one, they feel criticized. They feel that they feel attacked. They feel angry, but because it's their line manager who gave the feedback, they feel like um, it's better to not express their anger because of potential repercussions. So they try to forget it. They try to suppress it. They go home, but then they find themselves being like snappy at their partner or their kids or their pet. I'm sure, sure you know there's a word for that, displacement. There's a lot of displaced anger in the world today where someone's yeah where, where someone's angry at one thing and for one reason or another they're unable to express their anger at that thing so they find a more safer or accessible target so maybe most people maybe a lot of people would respond in that way but person two 
who did the same project, did the same amount of work, got the same feedback, just doesn't care. They're not lying. They're not lying to themselves about not caring. They're not suppressing any bad emotion. There's there is no bad emotion to suppress. They just don't care. So um, person three um, initially responds like person one. They 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 were angry angry at first, but then they realized that the feedback was actually constructive, and they could take this constructive feedback on board and become a better employee because of it. So I guess person three is the more healthier response because they're able to reframe it and. Um, uh, turn it into a useful experience as opposed to a, um, a negative, un, unuseful one. Right. I, I would say that it depends on, again, it's labeling healthy versus unhealthy. So it's uh, it's it's an interesting thing, but maybe yeah. that's a healthier response. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. It's, or, yeah, I, I would say it's the response that seems healthier. Okay. Well, it would seem healthier to most people or to, sure. to a lot of people. Yeah. Mm. Um, okay, so those are the three 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 main theories. I'll quickly, um, I'll briefly go over three other theories that I've heard, just so we're not leaving anything out. Um, and so, then, and then you have a theory that's beyond all of this. Yes. Then I I, I have a theory that um, no one has come close to disproving in the thirty two years that I've discovered it. But maybe maybe you're the one, Doctor P. Maybe maybe you're you're the one who's going to disprove it. And you know what? I, I I hope you do. I I hope someone does disprove it because I I want to learn. I want to know the truth. And so if someone disproves it, then that's something more truthful. So that's what I'll happily hop on. I I I can hardly wait. I don't know. One sharp sword cutting through to what matters most. Let's see what we cut through to. <laughs> okay, right. So the so the, the three other theories that I I quickly go through. So there's the psychopath theory. So people say you need to feel bad because if you don't, you'd be a psychopath. That that to me indicates a misinterpretation of what a psychopath is because that implies a psychopath doesn't feel bad about anything. And of course they do. They just don't feel bad about the things that society or other people say they should feel bad about, like other people's feelings or emotions and stuff. So that's sociopathy. And and uh, there is a difference between sociopathy and psycho psychopathology. So um, okay. those that are unable to feel or express, um, they just do. They just, you know, yeah. they have this uh inability actually to feel or express and it's sort of yeah. like they're just gonna hurt a puppy because they want to see if they can feel yeah and then they hurt people because they want to see if they can feel and it's it's like you know it's not as simple as that but yeah yeah so yeah. so yeah. i i I don't discount that theory altogether. I would label it slightly differently, but I get where you're going with it. Okay. Well, well, thanks, thanks for clarifying that. I mean, my my understanding that psychopath doesn't have empathy for another person. That's 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 one of the symptoms of. of it is. Of, it is, it is one definitely of one of the symptoms. No yeah. good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So let's, yeah. Let's keep that. Let's keep that. That's good. Okay. All right. Okay. So that, I guess that links to the to the um, to the next objection or the next argument. The, the next. Uh, objection is the empathy argument people say you need to feel bad because if you don't you couldn't be empathetic towards someone i'm like well that doesn't make sense surely surely the person who's saying that is confusing empathy with sympathy sympathy means feeling sad or sorry for someone empathy means just understanding how someone feels so if you want to be sympathetic 
you need to feel bad because that's what the word means. But you don't need to feel bad to understand that someone else might be feeling bad. I think what often happens is that people are empathetic and sympathetic at the same time, and they've somehow now merged the two where they are two distinctly different things. Very good. From the Latin, feeling for versus feeling with. Empath, yes, right. Yeah. Empath versus sympath. Yeah. All right. Okay. So the last, the, the last objection. I'm gonna quickly, quickly. Uh, run how through. do you like that? I'm, I'm, I am fortifying your arguments here. So that's great. No, I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. Every, I'm loving every part of this. This is great. It's, it's, this is, it's really good. It's nice to meet you. This is really great. Oh, good. Yeah, likewise. Good. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I mean, we're we're almost we're almost at that time. We're almost at that time. So okay. So the last argument is um, the robot argument. People say you need to feel bad because if you don't, you'd be a robot. Well, I think the way we're using emotions now is robotic because we're not thinking about how to respond. We're snapping to a response like like we're programmed to do so. I'm saying we should consider how to respond because that would be less robotic, not more. Very good. Very good. Uh, Part of what makes us human is that we have awareness Beyond that, we have awareness of awareness. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. so yeah. So, uh, and where the where AI is heading, there will be a uh, a programmable empathy. It will look. I'm sure like one day yeah. robots will look like they are providing uh, some form of understanding in their face. Their you know their their facial muscles will. Uh, contort and they will uh their tonality will change so this will be it's very interesting to it's like well you're an automaton you're a robot mm-hmm. and that would imply everything's flat yeah right everything is very flat and even the thing about flat and even is that when you when you remain tonally flat and even yeah it can actually sound like anger right that's true yeah can you hear this right (laughs) so if i stay on one note the entire sentence it's going to sound like i'm actually hiding something and that i'm angry (laughs) isn't that weird right yeah it is (laughs) so so i've i've uh studied vocal tonality with uh roger love the number one vocal coach in the world and and he's like you can't go one note because one people will predict what you're thinking or going to say (laughs) And the other is, if you stay on one note, it sounds angry. And then if you decide just to get louder to emphasize a point and you stay on that one note, but you're louder, it definitely sounds angry. So you have to have vocal modulation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Range is good. Range is good. Okay, here we go. So now now we've arrived. Now we've arrived. So, okay, so I'm not- Oh, I don't want to know. Time's up. Excellent. We're done. (laughs) I'll be priceless, wouldn't it? (laughs) Oh, good. Right, okay. So what what I'm going to do, I'm not going to tell you what the theory is, Dr. P. What what I'm going to do instead. No, no, no. What I'm going to do instead, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you two questions. And in answering those two questions, you are going to be unknowingly telling me what the theory is. All I'm going to do is just provide detail afterwards. Excellent. I can hardly wait. <laughs> okay, here we awesome. go. Go ahead. Here we go. Right. So, are you ready? No. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, please. <laughs> you, you look ready. You look ready. Okay, question number one. Question number one. Why do babies cry usually, generally? 
That's an interesting question. Babies cry to get the attention uh, for care that they need, typically. Perfect. So a baby cries usually generally because there's there's um, there's something they need or want and they can't communicate that need or want in any other way. So they cry. Perfect. Right. So question number two, what is a typical response to the baby crying from the caregiver or someone close to them? Duct tape. I mean, um, <laughs> no, wait, that was wrong. That was the. <laughs> I'm kidding for my audience. I'm kidding. <laughs> the, uh, the, the typical response is comfort, providing comfort. Yeah. Yeah. So to, re- to rephrase and recap, a baby cries usually to, um, generally because there's something they need, they need or want. They can't communicate that need or want in any other right. way. So they cry. A typical response is that someone comes along, tends to the baby. And comforts and, them. And, yeah. Or, and, or gives them Provides, what they need or want. Gives them what they need. They need provide want, comfort need. in some way. Right. Okay. Food, warmth, safety. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Here we go. So theory number four is called the baby theory. And it makes clear that the only reason why adults still feel bad is that we needed to feel bad as babies to alert someone that there was something wrong in our environment. And that's a process that we're still running unknowingly. So Let's let's imagine that ideally a baby is in a state of equilibrium or balance. They have, every, and I'm talking about a newborn baby. They're brand new. They this newborn baby is ideally in a state of equilibrium or balance. They have everything they need. They've got the right amount of food in them. The temperatures within the right range. That feels good. All of their needs are being met. Now, when there's even one unmet need, so there's a problem with the food. There's a problem with the temperature. That doesn't feel good. That triggers a state of disequilibrium or imbalance. And because a baby can't say, oi, I'm hungry. Can you turn the heating up or down, please? The only thing the baby can do is cruelly express the fact that there's something wrong by crying. And that alerts someone, that um, prompts someone to tend to the baby, identify the need that's not being met, meet it. And that returns the baby to a state of equilibrium again. So a baby uses that process to ensure that their needs are met as quickly as possible. And it works more times than not. Now, when desires are introduced, so this is the near newborn baby, the baby's been alive for a little while, near newborn baby, the, the near newborn baby wants to interact with stuff. They, they want certain things to happen. What, when they perceive an obstacle to being able to interact with this thing, they they now they know that bad feelings gets results, so they make themselves feel bad, express the bad feeling in the hope that someone's going to come along, tend to them, and give them what they want. And that's a process that's running continuously. And we were never taught that that's what we were doing, so we've we're taught these fake reasons for the existence of bad emotions, like we need bad to know good, or we need bad to motivate us, or bad bad emotions are useful in certain scenarios, certain scenarios, or bad emotions are just a part of life. But that's the reason why. Awesome. What do you do with that? Because I do have a different theory that attaches to this. So okay. I would happily discuss it with you. Sure. What I want to do rather than do that is to... Yeah dive into what you do with that with your like given given that theory of equilibrium yeah you know some comes to you and goes i'm never happy in my life i'm yeah. only feeling bad things yeah what do you do with that so i would i would make it clear i would share the theory of them and I'll, i'd make it clear that there might be something happening that they don't like 
But them feeling bad because of that thing is a is an emotion that they're prompting in themselves because that's the remnants of an archaic program that they needed as a baby to prompt someone to make a change for them. So they're pretty much saying, I want someone, I want someone to solve this thing for me. Pretty cool. much. And that's an unknown, unconscious program that we're we're running still. And there is there is no need. In fact, it used to be useful for a baby. Now it's getting in our way. So uh, I see. I see us having overlap okay. and we are looking at something. We're looking at the same thing from different directions. Okay. I'm keen to hear what your theory is. Please, please share. So mine actually goes more to attachment, right? Okay. What is okay. babies are born with two innate fears. Yeah. One is falling and the other is loud noises. Okay. As they cry, they know that they are getting nurturance, succorants, they are getting what they need. Yeah. And the thing that that could kill them is if they don't get what they need. Yeah. Yeah. Spot on. So there's a where I go with this is the uh what's been called a, a core wound. Okay. Right. And and it's the idea that we need to be seen as lovable. We need to be seen as worthy. And that the biggest fear is being either unworthy or unlovable. That those are those become beyond the innate fears, those become the personal fears of if I'm not good enough, um, it won't matter how much I cry. I'm not going to get the nurturance I need. I will be left out away from the crowd, uh, away from attachment connection and die. Yeah. And so the, the conflict then is in the, am I good enough? Which is what most people carry around. Am I good enough? Am I good enough to be right? That's worthiness. That's lovability. Um, So uh, I'm looking, I believe that we're looking at very similar things from just, there's great overlap. Yeah. And so I'm not disproving your theory. I'm just calling it something slightly different. Okay. I would, I would say though, that there are differences and I think those differences are um, really significant. Okay. Now, yeah, I was, I'll say what, what, what one of those differences is because, okay. Cause I, I think. And because in, in, in terms of like explaining this to someone, and I'm I'm not every time I explain it, I'm not saying this is true, you should believe it. I want someone to try and disprove it. And I can help people try and disprove this. I can help someone try and disprove this. You you could you can disprove okay. this. Any, anyone can disprove this if they can think back to a time where they felt bad and they didn't want one thing to change in that situation. Because I'm saying we feel bad only because we think there's a problem. And feeling bad used to be our surefire way of prompting someone to make the change that we want. So, so if you can, so so you're you're all right. So let's go there because it, Byron, your your premise is that it is a feeling bad is about controlling other people. Is what much. it sounds like. Pretty much, yeah. It's 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 controlling other people in a way that's just sensible because we have to control people in terms of we we need someone to give us food. So you're calling it the martyr food. theory, is what you're calling it. The, no, well, you know, if, if anything, it's more the kind of manipulation, <laughs> manipulation. Right? Theory. It's the, it's, <laughs> it's and and pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I 
Yeah. I, I'm not fully with you on it. I, okay. I understand it. I'm just not fully with you on the. Okay. So on, where do you think it doesn't make sense? Where do you think it, it doesn't fit? I Yeah, it's a good question. This is awesome. Yeah. The um, first of all, babies are pre-verbal, right? And it's, yeah. and that it is when we get language yeah. is around six or seven years old and we start to attribute things to, to an adult world that we don't fully have the entire schema for. Yeah. Yeah. I, so we I, are I that, as, yeah. as children, five, six, four, five, six, seven years old, yeah. we are given the language of, you don't need that. Sit back down. Yeah. Be yeah. quiet. Yeah. We are given the feel bad. And therefore the worthiness issue is sort of embedded because we don't understand the full, the full piece of if, if you're being told you don't need that, yeah. it could be that the family is going through financial hardship. Yeah. Who are you to ask for it? Yeah. Right. And so we don't have that. We don't have the broader perspective of what's going on. No, no, of course We not. just have as a child being told, be quiet. Yeah. Don't be bad. Yeah. Right. Bad. Good is, is becomes instilled in us. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I get that. I, I, I do get that. But I, I guess what, what I'm saying is because of those early subconscious processes that have been reinforced countless times, we are, those, those processes are still running in the background. So those, those, those processes are run, running independently of what we're then shown by adults. Uh, if anything, I, I think the plan was an adult should have shown the child as early as possible. Hold on. You don't need to feel bad to get what you want. And that's why you're doing it. But we're not taught that. We're, we're, well, we're, we're taught that to a certain extent. We're, we're taught to not cry over spilt milk, but, but we're not taught to not have the bad emotion that's prompting a cry. Interesting. Um, have you read Karen Horney's work? Um, the name the, sounds familiar. So she sounds did uh, she did work on good mother, bad mother, good breast, bad breast kind of stuff. And okay, yeah, that, that's and sort of like the 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 whole idea of uh, how parents um, can either nurture or um, metaphorically poison yeah. a the relationship with the child. And, and so for me, it goes back to it's relational. Yeah, and I think for you, it's not far off from being relational. Yeah. You're just saying that this is that bad emotions are a hundred percent manipulative. One one hundred percent manipulative because they worked. Because they worked and we did them when we had no awareness of what we were doing, and then we were then not taught that that's what you're doing. We've just continued doing it. And it's 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 similar to um, do you know the Ferber methods? The Ferber method of parenting? I don't. Okay, well, the, the, the Ferber method, it was, I guess, made famous in um, by the Ben Stiller film, Meet the Parents, where Robert De Niro, I'm not sure if you've seen a film, Meet the Parents, where Robert De Niro is trying to coach Ben Stiller about how to, how to, um, how to not run around a baby or not kind of um, over 10 to a baby. So the Ferber method, in basic terms, is leave the baby to cry, pretty much. <laughs> And it's, it's been largely discredited because that just sounds like that's neglect because sometimes the baby is crying because they need something. So if you leave a baby to cry, then you are neglecting the thing that they need. So this is similar because I think a more effective parenting style would be to 
as quickly as possible, where possible, identify when they need something and give them what they need, and then just ignore them when they don't need something. But how will you know if you don't tend? The mere fact that you're tending to them is reinforcing the feedback loop that is now persistent in adults. Do you have kids? No. It's an interesting thing when um, when you're the one that's the caregiver. <laughs> I'm sure. No, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm. I don't doubt that. I really. I really don't. <laughs> yeah. So it's. Uh, so it's a. It's an interesting theory. I'm. Um. You know. I'll let it. I'll let it sit. I'm. I. I love that you brought it here. Yeah. You know that that I'm not saying it's wrong. I. I think it overlaps with. Um. With some of the theories that are out there. Yeah. No. It does. It d- definitely does. But I think. I suppose I'm trying to say that the differences make all the difference. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And okay, so so can I can I just say how someone can disprove it? Because like I said, I, I want people to try and disprove it because I I want to latch on to the more truthful thing. So, so this can be. So for me, I would like actually to go the other direction, which is okay. let's assume that a hundred percent of what we name as bad emotions, yeah, let's assume that they're manipulative. Okay. So I, basically, what I want to do is I want to step full in to what you've brought okay so let's assume that okay now what do we do we acknowledge that it's manipulative and realize that it's not the healthiest or best way to get your goal because yeah because you can you you don't need a bad emotion to prompt someone to behave in a certain way at worst you can just pretend to feel bad you don't have to torture yourself to um prompt behavior in someone but that's what we're doing it's interesting. So, I mean, that that feeds the narcissism theory and and all that other stuff. It's very it's uh it's interesting. The uh, and if you go to rational emotive therapy, RET, right? Then mm. then the concept there is, all right, here's this behavior, here's mm. the emotion you've attached to it. The question is, how's that working for you? Yes, exactly. exactly. Right? And how's yeah. that working for you was a great big uh catchphrase in the 80s. It was a, it was, I don't think you were around in the eighties for that to like. I was uh, around, but not practicing. (laughs) Yeah. So, so for not to have it register for you, but that was a big deal. It's like, well, how's that working for you? Yeah. Uh, That was sort of like, it would catch people like, oh, I guess I should be behaving differently. I guess I should, Mm -hmm. I could be thinking differently. What I appreciate about all of this is, um, because I'm a big fan of gray. I don't think it has to be, you know, well, it's all this way or, or, you know, it's like, I believe there is some overlap. I believe you've seen differences and that the, in your world, the difference makes the difference. Yeah. Um, To me, I've seen some theories that actually underscore various pieces that you've talked about, which is, which is great. Yeah. Um, and I love that you're calling it the baby theory. I think that you can you can write and promote it. I think you can be the one to carry it out. And now, especially this generation needs to hear something like that. So I'm going to encourage you to to bring that out, like m- make that the thing. That's so my goal. That's my goal. So that people can take responsibility for themselves. Exactly. Which was, which was around in the 70s and the 80s, which is where my little psychological self grew up. I was, uh, you know, I began reading uh, 
uh, Wayne Dyer, and then actually philosophy <laughs> at, at 16 years old. So like the whole idea of, um, you know, take charge of your emotion. You get to choose what you feel. Emotional responsibility. Yeah, and, emotional and, responsibility. And people in high school, like I read that around 16, people in high school were losing their minds. Mm. And I'm like, why are you choosing that? Yeah. Why are you choosing that? I don't get it. I don't get yeah. why you're choosing that. Um, so I love this, right? The bottom line, take charge of your own emotions. Don't use them manipulatively. That's stupid. Um, <laughs> and painful sometimes. Painful. And, I think it's what's... painful for everybody. It's like, yeah. what's the, so, you know, the other, not only how's that working for you, but the other, the other thing that was, was said was, well, what's the payoff? Mm. What's the payoff in you? You know, what's the payoff for you to behave that way? Yeah. And it's like, well, if I mope enough, I'll get somebody's attention. It's like, <laughs> well, what if you just went to them and said, I would like your attention. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So uh, that's awesome. It's awesome. This was fun. This oh, was it was. fun. Yeah. Where, uh, where do you want people to reach out to you? Oh, they can, they, they can reach me at my, at my website, which is just my name.com. So www.byronafim.com. Okay. And uh, I am going to actually spell that currently so that people can, people who are listening don't actually have to go to the show notes. This will be in the show notes. Byron, B-Y-R-O-N, Athene, A-T-H-E-N-E, byronathene.com. Yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah. I, I like your website, by the way. I think. Um, oh, thanks. You have great pictures and you know, good little excerpts of stuff you've written. So it's kind of cool. Awesome. Anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to be sure, like here's the here's the bottom line or anything like that. Um, okay, yeah. So right. So bottom line is I think I think because of our misinterpretation of our bad emotions, we are pretty much in prisons of our own design. So I think I think this helps us see bad emotions for what they really are. Because we've seen bad emotions for what they really are, we see life how it's supposed to be almost so yeah so i think other therapists supposed to like, be by someone else's terms is what you mean i guess yeah i, I mean okay I, okay so i suppose i i can only talk from a personal point point of view it's like i i've um this has completely changed the way that i've seen existence Awesome. It's like we're we're colored by our view of bad emotions. If our view of bad emotions change changes, that could significantly alter the way we view life. It will. It, it, it's not that it could, it's that it will. Yeah. When you change, I think it was in fact Wayne Dyer who said that. And and when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Definitely. And that was right. Definitely. And so, you know, I brought a variation of that to my TED talk, which is yeah. uh, how a parallax perspective mm. disrupts perceptual bias. It's like we have a way of looking at things. What here's here's the good news is that, you know, if we are prisoners of our own design, yeah, then we are also the jailers with the keys. Yeah, exactly. So we have the keys to get out by design as well that's true okay that's true. so i like to leave things on an up note versus <laughs> you're in prison and you did it to yourself it's like and <laughs> and you don't have to live there you get choice right you get a yeah. choice 
just yeah. become aware, right? So yeah, oh, uh, yeah. Sorry, I guess that's what I implied. Thanks for making it explicit. <laughs> make it explicit because that's where we leave things on and up now. Um, you know, I believe that awareness leads to choice. Choice leads to greater awareness. That is an upward and outward spiral. And um, you know, I I wrote about that in my first book. Um, and that's you know that's really what you're saying, which is we have imparted uh, rules on ourselves, and we have the ability to choose differently. So I definitely, think awesome. good definitely. stuff. Byron, thanks for being here. I appreciate you're, you're welcome. Thank thanks for allowing me to share your platform. It's so much fun. It's really good. It's great to meet you. It's um, likewise. I know it's late at night where you are, and I (laughs) just bedtime. (laughs) Thanks for staying up. All right. Well, very good. So, uh, very good. So, my guest has been Byron Athene at byronathene.com. Reach out to him, take a look at his website, and there will be an article also in the show notes. Again, Byron, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks. This this is one sharp sword cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Exponential Success Coach, and we will see you here next time. Thanks for being here. Thank you for listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Breakthrough Success Coach and your powerful presence mentor.